Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be going through HIV. And you can find written notes on this topic in the genito-urinary medicine section of the Zero to Finals website or the Zero to Finals obstetrics and gynaecology book. So let's get straight into it. HIV refers to the human immunodeficiency virus. Being infected with HIV is referred to as being HIV positive. AIDS refers to acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. AIDS occurs as a HIV infection progresses and the person becomes immunodeficient. This immunodeficiency leads to opportunistic infections and several AIDS-defining illnesses such as Kaposi's sarcoma. AIDS is now mostly referred to as late-stage HIV. Let's talk about some basics. HIV is an RNA retrovirus. HIV-1 is the most common type, and HIV-2 is rare outside of West Africa. The virus enters and destroys the CD4 T helper cells of the immune system. An initial seroconversion Flu-like illness occurs within a few weeks of infection with HIV. The infection is then asymptomatic until the condition progresses to immunodeficiency. Immunodeficient patients develop AIDS-defining illnesses, which we'll talk about in more detail shortly, as well as opportunistic infections. This progression to immunodeficiency occurs potentially years after the initial infection. Let's talk about transmission. HIV is not transmitted through day-to-day activities, including kissing. It's spread through unprotected anal, vaginal or oral sexual activity, mother-to-child at any stage during pregnancy, birth or breastfeeding, and this is called vertical transmission, or through mucous membrane, blood or open wound exposure to infected blood or bodily fluids for example through sharing needles, needle stick injuries or blood splashed in an eye. Let's talk in more detail about AIDS-defining illnesses. There's a long list of AIDS-defining illnesses associated with end-stage HIV infection. These occur when the CD4 count, which is the number of CD4 T helper cells, has dropped to a level that allows for opportunistic infections and malignancies to appear. Some examples of AIDS-defining illnesses include Kaposi's sarcoma, pneumocystis geovecchi pneumonia, or PCP, cytomegalovirus infection, candidiasis, particularly esophageal or bronchial candidiasis, lymphomas, and tuberculosis. Next, let's talk about screening. Many people with HIV do not know that they're infected, and these people are at risk of complications and spreading the disease. Generally, the earlier a patient is diagnosed, the better the outcome. HIV is a very treatable condition, and most patients are fit and well when they're taking treatment. We should test practically everyone admitted to hospital with an infectious disease for HIV, regardless of their risk factors. Anyone who does have risk factors should definitely be tested. It can take up to three months to develop antibodies to the virus after infection. 
Therefore, HIV antibody tests can be negative for up to three months following exposure and repeat testing is necessary if an initial test is negative within three months of exposure to the virus. Patients need to give consent for a HIV test. Verbal consent should be documented before a test. Gaining consent can be as simple as asking, are you happy for us to test you for HIV? Patients no longer require formal counselling or education before taking a test. So let's talk about testing. Antibody testing is the typical screening test for HIV, and this is a simple blood test. Patients can request an antibody testing kit online for self-sampling at home, which they can post off to a lab for testing. It's possible to test for the P24 antigen in the blood, and this gives a positive result earlier in the infection compared with antibody testing. It's also possible to perform PCR testing for the HIV RNA levels, which tests directly for the number of viral copies in the blood, which gives a viral load. Let's talk about monitoring in somebody who has an infection with HIV. There are two ways to monitor based on blood tests, the CD4 count and the viral load. The CD4 count is the number of CD4 cells in the blood. These are the cells that are destroyed by the virus. The lower the count, the higher the risk of opportunistic infection. 500 to 1200 cells per millimetre cubed is the normal range for CD4 count. Under 200 cells per millimetre cubed is considered end-stage HIV or AIDS and puts the patient at high risk of opportunistic infections. Viral load is the number of copies of HIV RNA per millilitre of blood. Undetectable refers to a viral load below the lab's recordable range, usually 50 to 100 copies per millilitre. The viral load can be in the hundreds of thousands in untreated HIV. Next let's talk about treatment. Specialist HIV, infectious disease or genitourinary medicine centres manage patients with HIV infection. Treatment involves a combination of antiretroviral therapy or ART medications. Antiretroviral therapy is offered to everyone with a diagnosis of HIV irrespective of their viral load or their CD4 count. Some regimes involve only a single combination tablet taken once a day with the potential to suppress the infection completely. Specialist blood tests can establish the resistance of each HIV strain to different medications to help tailor the treatment to a patient's specific infection. The Beaver guidelines from 2015 recommend a starting regime of two NRTIs, which is a type of antiretroviral drug, for example tenofovir and entricitabine, plus a third agent. Treatment aims to achieve a normal CD4 count and an undetectable viral load. As a general rule, when a patient has a normal CD4 count and an undetectable viral load on antiretroviral therapy, you can treat their physical health problems, for example routine chest infections, as you would with somebody who doesn't have HIV. When prescribing for patients who are on antiretroviral therapy, 
be aware and carefully check for any medication interactions with the HIV therapy. Let's talk in more detail about highly active antiretroviral therapy or HART medications. There are a number of classes of antiretroviral therapy medications that work slightly differently to treat the virus. These include protease inhibitors or PIs, integrase inhibitors or IIs, nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors or NRTIs, non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors or NNRTIs and entry inhibitors or EIs. Next let's talk about some additional management in patients with HIV. Prophylactic cotrimoxazole or septrin is given to patients with a CD4 count under 200 per millimeter cubed to protect against pneumocystis geovecchi pneumonia or PCP. HIV infection increases the risk of developing cardiovascular disease. Patients with HIV have close monitoring of cardiovascular risk factors and blood lipids. Appropriate treatment, for example statins, may be required to reduce their risk. Yearly cervical smears are required for patients with HIV. HIV predisposes to developing human papillomavirus or HPV infection and subsequently cervical cancer. So women and transgender men with a cervix need close monitoring to ensure early detection of these complications. Vaccinations should be kept up to date, including influenza, pneumococcal vaccines, hepatitis A and B, tetanus, diphtheria and polio vaccines. Patients should avoid live vaccines. Next let's talk about reproductive health. Patients with HIV should use condoms for vaginal and anal sex and dams for oral sex, even when both partners are HIV positive. If the viral load is undetectable, transmission through unprotected sex is unheard of, even in extensive studies, although infection is not impossible. Partners should have regular HIV tests. Where the affected partner has an undetectable viral load, unprotected sex and pregnancy may be considered. It's also possible to conceive safely through techniques like sperm washing and IVF. Next let's talk about preventing transmission during birth. This description of measures to prevent vertical transmission is an oversimplified illustration of the BEAVER guidelines. You don't need to know the details for your medical school exams, but it is helpful to be aware of the basic principles. The mother's viral load will determine the mode of delivery. A normal vaginal delivery is recommended for women with a viral load less than 50 copies per milliliter. Caesarean section is considered in patients with a viral load of more than 50 copies per milliliter and recommended in all women with more than 400 copies per milliliter. IV zidovudine should be given during the caesarean section if the viral load is unknown or there are more than 10,000 copies per milliliter. Prophylactic treatment may be given to the baby depending on the mother's viral load. Low-risk babies where the mother's viral load is less than 50 copies per milliliter are given zidovudine for four weeks. High-risk babies where the mother's viral load is more than 50 copies per milliliter 
are given zidovudine, lamivudine and nevirapine for four weeks. Next let's talk about breastfeeding. HIV can be transmitted during breastfeeding even if the mother's viral load is undetectable. Therefore, breastfeeding is not recommended for mothers with HIV. However, if the mother is adamant and the viral load is undetectable, sometimes it's attempted with close monitoring by the HIV team. Finally, let's talk about post-exposure prophylaxis. Post-exposure prophylaxis can be used after exposure to HIV to reduce the risk of transmission. It's not 100% effective and it must be commenced within a short window of opportunity, specifically less than 72 hours after exposure. The sooner it started, the better. A risk assessment of the probability of developing HIV should be balanced against the side effects of the post-exposure prophylaxis. Post-exposure prophylaxis involves a combination of antiretroviral therapy medications. The current regime is Truvada, which is emtricitabine and tenofovir, plus raltegravir for 28 days. HIV tests are done immediately and also a minimum of three months after exposure to confirm a negative status. Individuals should abstain from unprotected sexual activity for a minimum of three months until confirmed as negative. So thanks for listening to this episode on HIV. As always, a big thank you to Harry for perfectly editing the podcast. And I hope you join us for the next episode where we'll talk about syphilis.